we come to this place for magic. We come to the Blatcast to laugh, to cry, occasionally be revolted, to pretend that you care. Because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the sound begins to prematurely dim, preserving that sacred runtime that is always measured in full minutes. And we go somewhere we've never been before. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn. Together. From musician interviews and unique movie reactions to stories about getting tossed off the groove cruise and rescued by the Canadian CIA. Dazzling conversation on tiny earbuds that repeatedly fall out or a huge pair of Beats by Dre that never fit but you spent 200 bucks on them, so you wear them anyway. Sound we all can feel. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our hosts feel like the best part of us, and stories feel perfect and powerful. If you feel like you're part of the episode, it's because here you are. The Blatcast. We make podcasts Better. This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world, hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Yes, indeed. Welcome to our first Blattcast of 2024. Long story, I'll tell it another time. I am Christian Blatt. This is Blattcast number 580, and I'm so excited. So welcome to the show for the very first time, Kaylee from Once Over with Kaylee, also known as Lucy Typebox from Who Are These Podcasts, and I welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to chat with us today. Kaylee. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I'm super excited. I'm very excited to have you, and uh, you got to see a little of the uh, behind the scenes uh, technical difficulties, which as someone in the world of podcasting, you realize it happens more often than not. That's it happens right. every time. Every Pretty time. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, well, thank you for uh, being here. Uh, take a moment and uh, explain to people once over with Kaylee and uh, what they would find when they head over to your YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. So I do movie reviews. I do a little bit of everything over on once over with Kaylee. Um, I just actually put up today a review of Hunt for the Wilder People, but I've recently done some classic horror like The Tingler. I do a lot of more modern horror, a lot of 80s horror. So there's a little bit of something for everybody over there. Yeah, I uh, only in retrospect do I realize now that uh, you probably should have talked about Silent Deadly Night with Carlos Danger and I uh, back in December. Uh, I we also had that. on. We also had on uh, someone who wrote, you know, he wrote the official novelization of it. And uh, I feel like we're going to need to uh, visit the world of uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night every Christmas. So uh, I every single year I watch that and I watch the second one, which is uh, amazing. Well, it's trash night. You have to watch it. It's always it's trash garbage night. day. <laughs> That's I what it is. I'm so sorry. It's much. Oh, day. no, I love I mean. There, yeah. it's basically the same movie as the first one. Well, that's the best part of it, that yeah. it is basically <laughs> the same movie. Uh, so we're here today because, uh, you know, we went back and forth with a few movies that we were going to talk about. And uh, I felt like Maestro was really uh, kind of the, the perfect one to talk about because you and I have both seen it now. I had an expectation of it going in, 
but also it's just very clear that this is one of the most Oscar Beatty Oscar bait movies. And as we're uh, talking, it is, let's see, Tuesday, the 23rd of January. And the Oscar nominations actually came out earlier today. And uh, I think that more than anything, it's not surprising to see that uh, Bradley Cooper did indeed uh, get an actor in a leading role nomination. Uh, I, I don't know some of these, but uh, Paul Giamatti, the holdovers, uh, Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, probably going to win. This Jeffrey Wright, American Fiction. My wife's in the Writer's Guild. Like, I've been able to watch this movie for months. I keep thinking, like, I got to watch it. Uh, and then, you know, you've got your supporting actors. You've got uh, De Niro, Robert Downey Jr., I'm Ryan Gosling. I'm very Mark Ruffalo for poor things as in supporting actors. That's great news. Yeah. And the first time seeing this, it's very exciting. (laughs) Ryan Gosling and Barbie. And that in and of itself is not a controversial nomination, except for the fact that Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for director. Margot Robbie wasn't nominated for actress and the film wasn't nominated. And they can, you can nominate 10 films now and Barbie's not one of them. I, uh, there's, so the people are upset and uh, somebody I thought had a funny, I forget who it was. Somebody I follow was just like, okay, I guess they missed the whole point of the Barbie movie and that the guy (laughs) is the only person who got nominated. (laughs) And I thought it was, I don't know. Did you see the Barbie movie? I I know you have nieces and things. So I thought you might've like had to see it. Yeah. No, I was so excited to see it. And I kept meaning to and kept meaning to, and I just kept getting put off and put off, but I'm super excited about it. I love Greta Gerwin. I think if anybody was going to make that movie a success, it was probably going to be her. So, well, I have a six-year-old daughter uh, whose name is Lucy. That's part of the reason why I couldn't possibly call you Lucy. It's also not your name, but um, so uh, I did see it. And it was the second time she had seen it. So it was a lot of like, oh, this is the part where this happens. And, oh, watch, we're going to see. I'm like, well, it's a good thing I don't care that much, you know, about spoilers. <laughs> you know, I didn't uh, I didn't go and see a, an Avengers movie with her. But uh, so, you know, I think it's I think it's a really well done movie. I think it's very good. And I don't want to use the term to belittle it, but it's a very cute movie. And yeah, when look, when there's 10 pictures nominated for best picture, you can make a case. But it's like, all right. I mean, look at the other nominees in the categories. Sometimes it has a lot to do with it, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, look at who votes for Academy Awards. Are they people that, you know, are going to be like, oh, the Barbie movie blew me away, you know? So so for actress in a leading role who did get nominated, uh, I love Annette Bening when I see her and stuff. I couldn't tell you what Niad is. Uh, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. She was phenomenal. And uh, we talked about that movie with uh, your buddy Vinnie Paulino and uh, some other people uh, in in the fall. Uh, And Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, which, boy, are we going to talk about. And uh, we'll see that uh, also Poor Things. So those are good actresses. America Ferreira got nominated in a supporting role for Barbie. So they're like, no, some of this stuff was good. So uh, it'll be interesting. And every year we do a uh, Oscar wrap-up show with my buddy Christian Toto from Hollywood and Toto. So you can expect more of that. But because this stuff came out today and because there were some nominations for Maestro, I felt like we should really start with that. And, you know, going into the movie, I don't know about you, Kaylee, I didn't know that much about it. And as I texted you, I didn't even realize what it was about. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I was just like, oh, I thought he was just like, you know, a maestro, just somebody really good at music. I, I don't think I I realized that, you know, it was actually, you know, the the it was a biopic. Yeah. You know? And it did, as you can see, our visual audience can see, it did indeed get nominated for Best Picture. Uh, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg, somewhere in there, a producer, you know. But um, what did you know about Maestro going in before you watched it? Kim? So going going in, I knew that it was about Leonard Bernstein. Right. And I knew that people really hated his nose prosthetic. Um, yeah. When when you mentioned that, by the way, that's what reminded me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did hear that, that the, it was the nose prosthetic was. Yeah. Seemed a little ethnic. Yeah, I guess that's one way we can put it, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and then like the uh, anti-defamation league and then all yeah. of these people came out and said, no, 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 that's not what this is. Yeah. He's so it's like, okay, well then what is it that his nose wasn't Jewy enough yeah. and you that's felt what it that was. Needed, yeah. So it's like, just, you know, yeah, it's yes. You wanted to look more like him, but you know, you wanted to look like Leonard Bernstein. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think he would have been too handsome if he just had that Bradley Cooper face, you know? It's true. It's true. Um, I'm Jewish and I had no problem with it. Obviously, yeah. you know, there's been much discussion about that. But I think that people get lost in the prosthetic aspect of his makeup. But sure. that makes them almost lose the physicality in portraying the actual character, which was so amazing because he was hyper expressive. Yeah. Um, and it was great. So I, who gives a fuck what his makeup was, you right. know? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I didn't know that obviously I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So what no, else did fine. I know about this movie? I knew very, very little. I like, I did not know a lot about Leonard. I knew that he was considered to be a triple threat. So that's kind of like my background base knowledge is that he was a composer, a conductor and a pianist. And I went into this movie figuring that it was going to, I kind of had guessed that it would be more about his relationships than it would be about his career. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was kind of where I started out when I, when I started watching. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting because the first part of the film's in black and white. Well, I guess that's not entirely true. The very beginning, it's a flashback. So it's in color, but then like the, the early part of the story is all in black and white. And, uh, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if the clips really made me realize that. And, you know, I, to be fair, I didn't check that closely, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I was I, I was very focused on the movie, but somehow I looked down and then I looked up and I'm like, oh, it's in color now. So yeah. <laughs> it's just like one of those moments. But I couldn't decide if I liked that was something that as I look at the movie as a whole now that I've seen it, that I really struggled with. And I don't know how I exactly feel about it. Every era was shot in the aspect ratio and in the style of the time right. that it was supposed to be filmed during. So that's why we got those black and white parts. That's why it changes aspect ratios at some parts. Um, I, I, I mean, that's a cute idea, but I also feel like it kind of belittles the audience a little. Um, yeah. So I, I personally struggled with that. I would rather it just all look the same. I don't know. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, yes, obviously this movie came out in theaters so that it could, you know, qualify for an Oscar, but this is a Netflix movie. That's how you and I both saw it. And it's almost like if it's not a Netflix movie, do you get the artistic license to play around with that? You know, to like, well, some of it's going to be in, you know, the, the old TV ratio at one point, you know? So the, the other thing that I struggled with when it comes to it being a Netflix movie, and again, you and I both watching it on Netflix 
was that it looked super grainy to me, almost as if it was shot with a digital camera and then they added noise in in post-production. Um, but I, I learned, I like Googled this because I was like, but I thought I heard that it was filmed on 35 millimeter. Apparently Netflix has a thing that they do where they remove film noise because it uh, saves bandwidth when they oh. are trying to compress it. And then they will artificially add back that graininess when they are doing the decoding. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so if I had seen it in theaters, it probably would have looked a thousand times better. And that wouldn't have bothered me so much. That's interesting, you know, and, uh, you know, I wonder because I saw Killers of the Flower Moon in the theater. I yeah. didn't see it on Apple. So now I'm wondering if I watched it on Apple. Well, I would have been able to easily take, you know, the two or three bathroom breaks that it required because the movie's three <laughs> hours and twenty four minutes. But also what it would it have looked uh different. And uh good to see cut of the jib in the chat. Uh that is a tricky situation for sure. Uh and he's talking about how it's wonky with the compression. I never knew that. You come to this show and you learn. So uh thank you. And then Kaylee, I had no idea that. So I, I learned it today. I was yeah. all I was like, oh, maybe it's really important to go see movies in theaters. <laughs> That's what they keep telling us, you yeah. know. And <laughs> one day people will uh maybe start to listen. So I think that one of the things that I really liked were some of the transitions, and it's done in a way like early in the film, you know, he's I don't know. He's at his apartment and yes, there is a, a gentleman there and he does play butt bongo fiesta on his ass and then he runs out and then it looks like he runs into the, I don't know, whatever the, the hall is, you know, the, the orchestra hall. Um, I obviously I'm a, a, you know, a whiz with classical music cause I can't even <laughs> think of what to call the building, but, uh, and then for a second, I'm like, Oh, is he staying in, in, in there? And you're like, no, I don't know. It was just like, cool. And they did a number of those and it looked really cool whenever they would do it. You know, when somebody walks yeah. through a door and they're just in the next place. And I, I mean, they did it in a way that didn't, didn't seem like a jump cut. It didn't seem super CGI. Uh, you know, in that first one, I was just confused because I will admit that I'm not very smart, but I, 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 as the movie goes along, I think that there's actually uh, quite a few of those. What did you think of stuff like that? So just, you know, yes, those transitions, but some of just the visuals that, uh, that Bradley Cooper was able to capture. It actually reminded me quite a bit of uh, Peter Greenaway's uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, where that movie is filmed almost like you're walking through an art gallery. Mm -hmm. And that can be a little bit distracting and jarring at first because you're making these transitions where you're not really sure how you got from one room to the other, even though you watched it happen and there was nothing jolting. Uh, but by the end of the movie, it just becomes so impressive. And that was one of the things that I thought that Cooper really succeeded in with this film was that we get those really, really, really exciting ways of moving from one space to another, just like you just said. I right. Abs right. Absolutely. And, and I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, just in general, I, uh, I enjoy Bradley Cooper's work and the way that people were talking about this movie, it, it gave me a feeling like, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a, a huge steaming pile of dog shit. And I'm like, no, there are things quite good in this movie. Yes. There's a couple of things, you know, that uh, we'll talk about, but uh, I feel like it, it works really well. And I, I do get put out of a little bit when people in a modern semi-realistic movie talk the way people did in movies. And I'm talking about early on when, uh, when he first meets 
I actually forget what Carrie Mulligan's, uh, uh, Felicia, Felicia, he, he first meets Felicia and it's a lot of like, Oh yeah, I love to go play down the music. Oh, do you? I want to do it. And I'm just like, did people really talk like that? I don't think they did. I think they just did in movies. And it's almost like when they're at the party and they're in front of people, okay, you're putting on a show. And I'm like, can they just talk? Because it's like really jarring, you know? And uh, I, I don't I don't quite know what uh, ethnicity uh, Felicia had. I haven't looked up. I haven't done the uh, the homework. But I feel like she probably didn't look like Carrie Mulligan because, yeah. she, you know, because of her eth ethnicity. Um, and by the way, in the chat, Kyle Bellardo is very excited. And Kyle is uh, somebody that I know very well from the Who Are These Podcasts Discord. And uh, he's uh, one of those people who knew me from the Blackcast before I was ever on that show. So uh, awesome. thank you, Kyle. I'm glad you're checking us out today. So I, I think that... Uh, you know, some of their interactions, it's like, uh, okay, I, I guess, but like that early part and they don't really talk to each other like that later. And yeah. I guess that's sort of what you're talking about is like, yeah. it's supposed to be this slice of life from movies of that era, you know, but I, it, I actually kind of liked that scene. I kind of saw that as him nervously courting her. Yeah. Um, so when he's talking a mile a minute, um, I, I just think that it's like one of those adorable, like, I don't know how to talk to you, but I would like to. So I'm just going to keep yeah. saying words until you make me stop. Right. Which um, that's the way that I, I talked to every woman I was interested in right <laughs> up until the time I met my wife. And uh, then I could finally stop and life was uh, much better. The best thing about that scene is the... I mean, the performances are great, but I mean, I love the shot composition. There's this like four pane window between the two of them. So there's this very clear like distance between them. And then the the, the hacky song and dance number kind of put their faces up against the window kind of in the middle. And uh, there's a few of those things, you know, there's they're having a difficult conversation late in the movie. And it's just this really wide shot on their, their yard. And they're like under, I don't know, like an overhang, they're sitting on a bench and they stay there the whole time. Yeah. And, and I think it's like, I mean, look, there's interesting choices that uh, Bradley Cooper's making uh, throughout this movie. Um, how do you feel that their interaction goes? We're talking about Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan, you know, sort of throughout because it's a little bit of a roller coaster. And when your story is based on a true story, you kind of have to, you have to follow the blueprint, you know? I do think that they had a very interesting relationship. So I, I kind of saw the entire movie as um, a movie about soulmates. So I think that one thing that was really interesting is a lot of the time when somebody was gay or bisexual during this time period, uh, they were completely repressing that and hiding it. And they were deceitful to their partner, to their wife. Sure. Um, but here that wasn't really happening. She at least knew that he was bi. She, you know, had some idea of what was going on. And I think that that is what drew the two of them so closely together because she was accepting of who he was as a person, both on and off stage. And that I think is for me, the best message of this movie. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when you think, and it's sort of in the middle point, you know, they're at that party. It's by the point that the uh, the film's in color and, you know, he gets caught and you're like, oh, wow, is this a big deal? And she's like, I told you to be discreet, you know, and then later on, she sort of revisits that. It's like you're getting sloppy, you know, it's like you you should really be discreet about this because prior to that, it's from a slightly different time period. But it's, you know, they've got the camera crew in their house and it's all like they're back and forth and like, Oh, look at their family. The daughter's watching off on the side. 
And uh, I, I did think that was kind of interesting, you know, and when he's walking and he runs into uh, Matt Bomer's character uh, with his then wife and, uh, you know, I think the baby's with them and he's like, oh, I slept with both your parents. And, and it's like, OK, well, it's like clearly, you know, <laughs> the, the the artistic sets can uh, have casual conversations that maybe the rest of us uh, couldn't get away with. But I thought it was it was fairly upfront. Except, you know, in a way where I'm sure in the media it was like, OK, well, yeah, this guy's got a wife and a family. We don't even think twice. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is the same era where, you know, Liberace would go on the Mike Douglas show and it was like, Lee, why? Why aren't you married? I just haven't met the right girl yet, Mike. <laughs> and you know, actually it was a little bit more Paul Lynn, but you know what I'm saying, you know, and and it, just to think about that, you know, the idea, uh, the time that we're talking about and, you know, look later in the movie when it's the 80s it's like oh yeah it's like <laughs> everything goes a little bit you know yeah. uh, you know george michael was on our tv all the time so uh obviously uh everything you know worked in that way um but i i think it's a great point about their relationship it's built on the foundation of this is who i am and i trust you not to embarrass me so she doesn't get upset when it's like, oh, yeah, he's chasing after this young guy with just terrible long hair, by the way. Let's, you know, let's let's be honest. You, know, you could do better. You're the maestro. But, <laughs> if you're going to, then. You yeah, if you're well. right, exactly. It's like you're you're Leonard Bernstein. You, there's yeah. plenty of guys that you can yeah. go up on the roof with, you know, but, you know, it's more just like I, I, I can't have you embarrassing me like this. And when it's a little bit later in the film and the, the daughter, I think her name was Jane finds out, you know, that, well, she hears these rumors and she, Felicia says, don't tell her. And he's like, all right, I would have, but your mom told me not to tell you. And he's like, no, they're not at all true. And that is re really illustrates the fact where later on she clearly figures out like, okay, he lied to me because, you know, he, he's always bringing these friends over, you know, it's, it's a very interesting family dynamic, Kaylee. <laughs> It is. I, I also thought that that scene was particularly interesting when he's talking with his daughter about all the gossip that's happening. He His response is that people gossip when they are jealous. Right. And that's his explanation to the rumors. And I thought that that was such an interesting take because, uh, you know, again, of course, people are jealous of who he is. He has this perfect seeming life. He is a total success. He's doing amazing in all of the aspects of his career and his personal life. Um, so, but perhaps that's a little bit of jealousy on his part that he isn't allowed to share that, that piece of himself with everybody that he wants to. Right. You know, I mean, there's even a moment where, you know, he's kind of exhausted and he says that, uh, he doesn't want to live a lie anymore, but he has to kind of continue living a lie anyway, yeah. you yeah. know? And, uh, I, I think, uh, a lot of that is very interesting as we see the balance between his work and his home life. And, you know, one of the things that I have heard about the film is that Bradley Cooper prepared like six years to become a convincing enough conductor. So that explains why that one scene is so long, you know, there it's, it, so it's impressive. Long. He's drenched in sweat. He gives Felicia a hug afterwards. It is an emotional moment, but I'm like, 
I mean, a minute, two minutes, there's something could have could have come out of that. And what I one of the things I love about you know, the, the Internet is garbage. Twitter's trash. But every once in a while you see something, someone who's an actual you know fan of the style of music said uh, you had a comment that was oh, it took you six years to learn how to. And then he talks about like how his arm is too low at this point and, you know, stuff that I don't understand. I'm just yeah. like, oh, man, everybody's a bitch, <laughs> you know, no yeah. matter what you're a fan of. You yeah, I, I think I saw something similar that was like, you spent six years and you can't even hit a downbeat. Like, come on. And I have no idea if that's like, true or not. Yeah, but no, exactly. And I don't even care if it's not true. Yeah, I'm just like, so yeah, funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would be like if if I'm criticizing a choice an actor for a superhero movie, you know, it's like that's that's what I'm going to get on my soapbox about. Um, and I think for me, that's where the awards bait bullshit kind of comes into play, because you didn't need to spend six years preparing for that. Like the vast majority of people who are watching this movie are not going to be Leonard fans. The majority of the people who are watching this movie want to see an interesting biopic, especially if it's drama or romance. Yeah. So why? Why? Like you could have a year, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, you didn't need to do six years. And that that's what makes it feel like Oscar bait to me. Yeah. You could have gone on YouTube and uh, just watched some videos yeah. or his old show, the actual Leonard Bernstein's yeah. old, old show. You could have just been like, all right, I'll figure out how to do it, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I think he's quite good, you know, playing the ups and downs of this character, the, the highs, uh, no pun intended for the drug use, which... It's it's funny because like any movie about apparently any kind of musician needs the party where there's the 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 mirror the tray of cocaine and in this one it's like over somebody's head and uh, and you know I'm just like all right I mean is there like a scene that you had like this scenes in the Queen movie it's in the John it's in the everything movie and I was like ah, all right it's just make this scene interesting. It's interesting. You know, the drug use in Boogie Nights is fascinating, but you know, here I'm just like, uh, uh, this is a great point from Kyle. So Lucy, you're saying Daniel Day Lewis didn't need to be a shoe cobbler for two years for a movie. Ridiculous. I Kyle know. Is a great point. The idea that Daniel Day Lewis insisted on people addressing him as Mr. Lincoln on that Lincoln movie, yeah. which by the way was very good, but it was not great. It was like, oh, so like his family can't text him because he's Abe Lincoln. You know, you've heard about Jared Leto on the original, the first Suicide Squad movie. He was so into that shitty version of the Joker. Yeah. He was like playing <laughs> pranks everywhere. And I was like, I don't know, just how about you work on the character and you make it good? I love the idea of an actor who it's like, oh, it's quitting time. I'm going to go home and just do regular people stuff, you know? Yeah, me too. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that... Uh, I know. I'd like to. I'd like to really hook Bradley Cooper up to the lie detector test. Like, how much time did you spend? Like, over those six years, you've made movies. All right, did you take breaks and then you got to get back into it? Uh, Mike point. Moore in the Queen movie, the band tried to get him to not do drugs, but those wicked gays talked him into it. Mike Moore <laughs> has a fantastic point because they do make it. They do leave a lot of Freddie Mercury's life out of that movie. Have you seen the? Uh, the I have. Movie, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. and. I, I think that there's some good performances in there, but there's a whole, like you might be able to walk away from uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and think like, Alfred oh, Mercury just kind of, he 
dabbled in, in in gay stuff, but he was mostly bi. No, he was he was gay and he was involved in some very risky behavior, which yeah. uh, unfortunately the time period he engaged in it is uh, very likely what led to him being HIV positive. But you would think that that one boyfriend of his is the one that's like, man, that guy got him to do everything. Yeah. You know? So I think similar, actually, that just I guess I didn't realize how much you can very easily compare these sort of biopics um, The I can I looked a little bit more about uh, Bernstein and it seems yeah. like they left out a ton of stuff from his life. The sure. thing that I thought was most left out of Maestro was why did we just skip over West Side Story? Yeah, I know that's like one of his hugest accomplishments. And I think they say at one time, I think he also had like some pretty big contributions at Harvard. Um, Yeah. Why did we not talk about it? You're absolutely right about West Side Story. There's like, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm working on this uh, updated version of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, you mean West Side Story? You know, it's like almost like, oh, let's hit people over the head as to what that is. But then we don't. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't want a whole movie about him making it. But no. I would have a couple minutes, you know. It's huge. I mean, that's again, maybe we make that one conducting scene just a little bit shorter <laughs> little, and we bit. add just a little bit more dialogue about West Side Story. Yeah. Um, one of the, you know, there's a, a lot of actors who pop up in this. And uh, you had the same reaction I did because you messaged me. You're like, wait, Sarah Silverman's in this? And I was like, yeah, I, I like, because I had just watched it like later earlier that day. And I was like, yeah, I had no idea. I literally had no idea that Sarah, Sarah Silverman is in it. And she's like acting. She's not playing a comedian in the time period. You know, it's not like uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel where she's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just some female comedian. No, she's in it and she's acting. And I guess she's his sister who's still friends. Uh but uh, uh, by the way, Mike Moore has a very funny uh, joke for people who are self-aware of these things. The crazy thing is all these years, I thought it was Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> and uh, Roz JD uh, in the chat, Laura Silverman is the only one I'll watch. She used to have her sister on her uh, sketch show. I thought her sister was, uh, was pretty good. But anyway, uh, talk about sort of that. And that happens a lot of times in movies. And look, there are times where comedians can win you over. Uh, but I mean, she was doing, this is not pun intended for the era that it's in, but a very broad character. And she's just sort of like that, Oh, you know how he is. And, and it's, I don't know. I, I don't think she was terrible, but I wouldn't yeah. say she's good. I think it was a poorly written character. I'm going to be honest. I think that some of the kind of ancillary characters that we get, um, are boring and not well thought out. I don't know that there's like a background to her. I don't know that she was necessary in any way. Don't get me wrong. I lost my mind when I saw her and I was like, what the fuck, Sarah Silver? <laughs> I literally paused the movie and messaged you. That was like my <laughs> first series of events. I was completely shocked. So it was a super fun moment for me. But was it necessary in any way? No. Like, yeah. I, what did she do? What did she add to the story? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's... Um... I think Sebastian Maniscalco was in Green Book and he didn't have a huge part, but he was just like, it was like a big Italian family. He was just one of those guys. And you're like, oh yeah, that works. You know, it wasn't like, oh, there's, there's Sebastian, you know, what's he doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> there are some people where it gets to be pretty hard to uh, separate who they are. 
Uh, and Kyle with a great question. Was Sarah Silverman better in Maestro or in the two-part epic episode of Star Trek Voyager? You're just uh, trying to uh, push my buttons, Kyle. You know how I feel about Star Trek Voyager. But um, <laughs> honestly, she was probably better in this. She was definitely better in her uh, sketch show, you know. And when she did that uh, that video for when she was dating Jimmy Kimmel and they did a song called I'm Fucking Matt Damon, She's great in that. She's very funny. I remember a time, it wasn't that long ago, that uh, she was very funny. But when I was uh, out your way in June I, on Who Are These Podcasts, Carl had uh, some clips from her current podcast where it's just people leaving voicemails and they're really sad about life and she's trying to talk to them and it's super serious. Nope, I never do that. You're a comedian, you know? I, I, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, do you so know what I liked her in though. She was good. Do you remember Greg, the bunny? I do remember Greg, the bunny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Greg, the bunny. Greg, the bunny was good. Seth green was in that, right? Yeah. 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 That was a pretty good show. I forgot about that. See, it was a great that, show. That seems like something she's well suited to. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you were talking earlier about, uh, Bradley Cooper being very expressive in, in this and how perhaps he didn't need the prosthetic nose. I, I came across, I was going through my notes looking for something else. And, uh, I, I jotted down Bradley Cooper makes a lot of Charlie Chaplin faces in this, movie, <laughs> which it's like, you know, the very big broad, like, Whoa, because there was no sound. So you had to really act with your yeah. face. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that, it again, it doesn't it doesn't take you out of it, but there's a lot of times where you're like, all right, buddy, you're at like a nine and a half. Can you dial it down to like a six? You know, <laughs> this this performance doesn't need to be that big uh, at all uh, at all time. Uh, I do think, though, that it's pretty similar to how he really was conducting. I think he was pretty known for his very over the top, you know, exaggerated movements. So, yeah. you know, maybe that was an intentional choice. Yeah, no, I think I think you're probably right. I think that uh, especially when it's sort of the the early era, and you know, again, I didn't do the homework where I've gone and checked out YouTube videos of Leonard Bernstein, and maybe <laughs> very well it was actually you know the the same as that. Um, I did notice when they started to age him up and make him older, I was like, wow, he looks a lot like George Hamilton. You know, uh, he's not quite as tan, but uh, I, yep. I, I guess that's what Leonard Bernstein looked like. Yeah. But uh, I I find it to be a, an interesting movie. It has good performances, but I can also see why, you know, this uh, poster that I've been putting up, it has some of the places that it did well. You know, the Venice Film Festival. Uh, let's see. What else did it have? Uh, Spotlight Gala New York. You know, it's an official selection. Uh, for other festivals, but it's not running away with awards. And, you know, it, it's because it, I think I said this about a different movie. It's good, but this isn't great. There's definitely I'm never going to watch it again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I can't imagine watching it again. And if somebody said, have you, uh, should I watch it? I'd be like, well, what are the other nominated movies? Have you seen that you want to, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I was very critical on Oppenheimer to the extent, Kaylee, that I had Tukey on our show to talk about it with me. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, but but I would still say somebody should certainly see it. watch Oppenheimer yeah. before this if you haven't seen it, you know. But I, of course, you know, you and I agree that we should, this was the movie to watch. There are still others, but, uh, you know, it's... Um, I don't know. What do you think it is about it? Is it something you can put your finger on? We've we've picked it a couple of little things. 
is there something that makes you feel like, yeah, this this movie isn't resounding with the people who vote on these things for a specific reason? Or, or what are you thinking? So I think that um, a big part of it is that if you know nothing about him, it's hard to just go into this movie. Sure. I felt like I needed to learn about him after this movie, but there wasn't that much more to learn about, or at least not right. that much more that's interesting unless you are a conductor or a composer or a pianist and are really interested in those things. I am none of those things. So particularly the subject matter wasn't something that I felt like I wanted to research after I was done. Um, but I also right. didn't really feel like I learned about him. And I think that the perfect example of that was that it wasn't until about 40 minutes into the movie that they do a radio interview thing with him. And that is where they kind of introduce his contributions to the world. So right. up until that point, up until that 40 minute mark, if you don't know who he is, then why do we care about this guy? Yeah, and, no. And I, that's yeah, kind of point. at odds. You know, you, you get to a point where it's like, you either need to make it a movie that is entirely about his romantic life and his family life or entirely about his professional life. And I think that I really struggled with the meshing of those two things. Um, I, I think it would have been fine if they had chosen one or the other. But for me, the combination made the movie longer than it should have been. It made it a little bit less exciting than maybe it could have been. Yeah, no, I think that uh, that's that's definitely the case. It's like it, it's more that, you know, look, there's movies that you see it and you go like, yeah, that 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 maybe wasn't even a, that wasn't a bullseye, but it came really close. It really hit the mark. And this is like eh, it just kind of misses in a lot of ways, but it's not it's not unwatchable. Like I said, yeah. I like him. I think she's good in it. Uh, you know, I think that they do a great job sort of handling the reality of, you know, she still wants to entertain guests and then she's there coughing up blood and into a tissue and they don't really know what to do. And sort of, you know, that sort of uncomfortability when you're around someone who's sick, the family getting together and dancing to records when they yeah. know it's the last time they're going to be together. There's some very sweet, really well done heartfelt stuff in it. Uh, but it's just such a mixture of like, Oh, and then, you know, he taught this class and he humiliated uh, the wannabe conductor who he then like grinds with at a dance club, you know, hopped up on something, you know, he's so sweaty and he's, you know, and it's just like, uh, all right. I mean, it's, it's, look, it's part of his life, I guess, but it, it goes in a lot of different directions, I guess, is, is kind of what I'm thinking, Kaylee. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, I do want to touch on, uh, and you know, I had sent this to you and this is kind of a, a big part of it. Uh, this is uh, from the only news source that I think any of us should trust the daily <laughs> mail, but it is an interest. It, it look, it, there's, there's certainly true to, truth to a lot of this. And for anyone watching, as I am sharing this, the sheer number of daily mail pop-ups there's like three going as we're talking and i've like zoomed in on the the headline to try to cut down on some of it <laughs> but uh the headline is bradley cooper was hollywood's golden boy but after quote jewface bro <laughs> he's now sneered at for being desperate for an award and as Haley and i discussed spending six years learning to conduct an orchestra. You know that quote we talked about actually was probably in here. So I think we'll probably get to it. Oh yeah. Social media users have mocked the actor for his desperation to win an award. 
And, you know, look, the article starts with making this point. There was a time where putting certain tropes in a movie meant the film was almost guaranteed to get nominated for all the top awards. And uh, these tropes, making unfeasibly good-looking Hollywood stars look unattractive, which, by the way, even with that nose, he's still a good-looking gentleman. He I mean, looks I don't, great. I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't lean that way, but I feel like uh, you're going to be able to back me up. That Bradley Cooper, at, at his current age, looks very good. He doesn't look much worse with uh, with a big nose on him. No, I, and, maybe that's because I grew up uh, surrounded by Jewish people. But you know, he looked <laughs> totally normal to me. Right, exactly. As the the makeup, the prosthetic was great. I like yeah. had to look at it. I was like, is it really? Yeah, I mean, you could zoom in it's on great. it. Yeah. yeah, and they talk about you know spending uh, lots of time for method acting, and it's known as uh, Oscar bait. And uh, it appears moviegoers are no longer as naive as they once were when it comes to the Academy. Uh, so the phrase Oscar bait has become a symbol of ridicule, uh, used increasingly <laughs> to bash nine time nominee Bradley <laughs> Cooper, once Hollywood's golden boy, but suddenly disliked and sneered at by many as a result of his new picture maestro, a biopic of composer, composer Leonard Bernstein. Uh, and, and, you know, they mentioned that, you know, his breakthrough role was The Hangover. I thought uh, he and Jennifer Lawrence were phenomenal in uh, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I thought, uh, you know, I've seen him in a lot, you know, uh, I don't know that we need to talk about uh, the subsequent Hangover movies or <laughs> the A-Team. But in general, I mean, you know, he used to he used to have like a really small part on Alias. And I remember him from that. He was a, he's yeah. a good actor. He's in great. general, he's a good actor, you know, and. I mean, he's a great talking raccoon in those Guardians of the Galaxy movies. No, he just records it. I don't think he does any mocap stuff, but still. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's anything about him. I don't think that the tide has turned against him, but obviously clickbait works because like Oscar bait, I did go and click on it and we're sharing it here and we're talking about it. But I just think it's a movie that's not connecting with people the way that he thought it would, you know, which Honestly, yeah. as a filmmaker, it's probably heartbreaking to some extent because you're like, oh, I really thought this was great, you know? But I don't know. I don't feel like the, there's some backlash on on Bradley Cooper. Do you? No, not at all. I think there was yeah. a lot of discussion about should he have done the Jew face? Uh, yeah. But I don't think anybody was like, oh, ban Bradley Cooper. He's the worst. He'll never make another good movie. He'll never act again. You know, I don't think anybody acted like that at any point in time. Right, exactly. And, you know, one of the points that, you know, as we're talking, we mentioned there were just the nominations for the Oscar. So we haven't had the Oscar ceremony yet, but what we have had are the Golden Globes. So uh, when Killian Murphy won, uh, he did, as, as I when I sent this to Kaylee, as I mentioned, he did uh, some of the best acting he's done in years uh, with just this look on his face of like, oh, I'm not devastated here. You know, I'm not I'm not shattered by the fact <laughs> that, you know, the guy plays the father of the atomic bomb. And, uh, uh, as a, you know, look, in a, a different year, maybe even last year. This yeah. Movie, this movie could have run away with all the awards. I'd have to remind myself what won last year. But. Uh, you know, look, at, at least he's, you know, he's trying to be honest about it. You know, the people who stand up and start clapping because they're acting like they're glad somebody else won. I think that's, that's fairly a, that's a fairly real reaction, even though he's like, I got to hold it all in because yeah. uh, this is not what I expected, you know? Yeah. But 
I don't know. I mean, I guess people probably don't feel bad for him, but uh, I, I, I look when they had that cutaway. I do always try to look when they do those split screens on award <laughs> shows. I'm like, who's gonna lose? You know, and you always try to look at the one, and and sometimes some people are very funny about it. You can tell the people who are like legitimately don't really care. They yeah. have the people who don't think they're going to win and then they can't believe it. And they're like, ah, I didn't write a speech. I'm so sorry. I like those moments, you know, yeah, I do, don't be yeah. so full of yourself. Thank you. You know, I was, I was using the example. Uh, it was the 1991 MTV awards. Uh, Michael Stipe show up wearing uh, Michael Stipe from REM showed up wearing 12 shirts because REM was nominated for 12 awards. So he was going to wear each of his messages each time he won. Well, they won like four or five. So like at the end of the show, he has to like take off all the shirts. And I'm like, you asshole, <laughs> you weren't going to win all of them. You know, this is shiny. Happy people is not that good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But um, wait, know. speaking of REM. Yes. How did you feel about the inclusion of end of the world as we know it? I think that, uh, you know, his name's in that song. So yeah. obviously Leonard Bernstein, I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a moment for anybody. If you've Pop ever, culture. anybody who's tried to karaoke that song, which I have not by the way, but anybody who has tried, that's the part where you're like, maybe I can get half a breath in there, the Leonard Bernstein. But, um, I think that's the main reason they did it. And also like, yeah. Oh, we're in the eighties now. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a little on the nose to have a song with the guy's name in it. You know what Do you I mean? know what I I hated the most about that? What's that? The scene where that where they play that song, it's him and okay, so it's right after his wife dies, and then yes. he's in the car with another guy, and they're pulling up to the house, and the song plays for like a quarter of the second with his name being said. So clearly, they were listening to it in the car. Is the you know implication there? And I just wanted to be like. You're making it seem like he's conceded that he's listening to that song. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like a very weird. I understand that that's a pop culture moment and that it's important that we talk about it. But everybody already knows that. You don't have to throw it in my face. Yeah. In this he's, scene. Fa he's fairly conceded throughout the movie. Yeah, this is nothing true. new. That's true. Very yeah, true. but you're right. It doesn't teach us anything. But it's also like, I don't know. I mean, it's. Yes, it's uh, artistic license. We'll assume yeah. that the song's on the radio and yes. he doesn't have like the cassette single on repeat, you know, so that uh, just that's the only Cued thing. Cued up to that part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking about how, as the Daily Mail usually does, there's a collection of Internet comments that are featured in here. And uh, uh, so they include things like, man, Bradley Cooper is really desperate for that Oscar. I'm living over how Bradley Cooper has turned himself into a joke all because he's so painfully desperate to win awards. There's a uh, crying emoji. We need more of this IDK. Uh, I find myself endeared by Bradley Cooper's desperate pursuit of artistic greatness as if it can be achieved by sheer force of will. Uh, Bradley went over the top in preparation for his maestro role and subtly dissed Killian Murphy's prep for his role at one point. It seems obvious he was desperate for recognition awards for his acting, but he's probably not winning much, if anything. And uh, but this doesn't have the one that I wanted. I wanted to see somebody who like really understood. But, you know, we we, we kind of both uh, hit the point. You know, we kind of know. Uh, oh, yeah. But this is oh, a good maybe. one. Bradley Cooper saying he worked for six years to learn how to accurately portray six minutes of conducting is like someone saying they've been working for years to master their air guitar skills. <laughs> so funny. 
Yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper is going to spend the next six years trying to perfect an Irish accent for his next role. And this is the one you mentioned, Kaylee, uh, from Matt S. Damon's. So not Matt Damon. Uh, so <laughs> I watched the actual video of Leonard Bernstein conducting for uh, Mailer Symphony Number no. 2 because I felt like something was off during Bradley Cooper's version. And Mr. Cooper, six years? And you couldn't even hit the downbeats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last one that I'll read is Kate uh, Blanchett made the world Google to see if Lydia Tarr was a real person with her amazing performance. And Bradley Cooper does what toddlers do and mimics. Only it doesn't take most toddlers six <laughs> years. Uh, obviously, the uh, in a lot of ways, the Internet is undefeated and being obnoxious. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's not really as simple as just doing that, you know. And, uh, look, I, I think he's he's good in it. Uh, if he doesn't win any awards for you know any point, I think yeah. uh, it's probably deserved. As, as much as I felt like – did you see Oppenheimer? I haven't. Okay, so it's it's a little long and it misses the mark into what's the most interesting part of the story. That's all I'll say. Um, and uh, Tukey didn't even watch it, believe it or not. I know that you would think that a puppet would actually go to the movies, but uh, I guess uh, Rocco crazy. Said that want to go. I know Tukey wouldn't go. But anyway, uh, so if anybody wants to see that episode, that was from over the summer. Uh, but. I think that uh, I, I can see that that I mean, it's Christopher Nolan. You feel like yeah. there's movies that you're like, well, how could that not win? And, uh, you know, I'm sure we, we can look at the list and uh, figure out what would be this year's green book. But um, Kyle Bellardo uh, talks about how Cooper has a shot at the Oscar. They love actors who play real roles and are also gay. If Bernstein had died of AIDS, he'd be a lock. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, again, I feel like you're invoking the Queen documentary, which the Queen documentary has a tremendous number of problems. You know, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was originally in it. And then the guys from Queen were like, well, we're not going to really tell the real story. And so then he wasn't interesting. He wasn't interested in being in it, but it also, uh, it really bends the truth a lot. It's like, oh my God, live aid happened when they hadn't seen each other in years. No, they had been on tour like two months earlier. So, you know, and then they like, oh, let's end the movie by doing like a full three song set from Live Aid. And I'm like, all right. I mean, yes, you recreated it and it was good. But do you need to just because you can? Um, are there biopics for musicians uh, or maybe even, you know, fa uh, perhaps fictional uh, musician movies that come to mind as sort of being similar to this in tone that you're like, oh, well, this that was a great one because uh, I'm not sure if I have one on top of my head. I'm sure that I have an answer to that, but I can't think of anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, and a lot of times it has to do with like, how much do you like the subject? Like the Oliver Stone doors movie probably isn't great, but it came out. I was like, I don't know, 15. And I'm like, this is the yeah. greatest movie I've ever seen, you know? And, uh, you know, Val Kilmer actually did the singing. Uh, Kyle's following up on his thought, the queen movie, Philadelphia, the Danish girl, Dallas Buyers Club. So yeah, he uh, Kyle definitely had his uh, his pocket was loaded with uh, with references to you know the the guy who uh, the the AIDS story uh, absolutely and oh, uh, yeah that was one of the other things that I thought was interesting that was omitted from Maestro. It's my understanding I might have some of these details slightly wrong, but it's my understanding that at one point Leonard Bernstein left Felicia for 
I think it was David. I can't remember. It's one of the guys that he was banging in this movie. Left his wife mm. for him and then um, was gone from her for like a year. And then when he got back with his wife shortly after that, the guy died of AIDS. So this movie oh. could have had the AIDS aspect. Yeah. Of it, See, but Kyle, it did not. It if they were listening to Kyle, if Kyle was a consultant on this film, he would have been like, ah, I think you really got to you got to uh, deal with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm glad I, uh, I popped back in on my notes because I was thinking about some of the visuals. Uh, there's a point where they're in their penthouse apartment, you know, uh, in New York and it's Thanksgiving. And obviously it's, you know, Hollywood magic all around, but the idea that it's like, come on, come, come look at Snoopy and you see the Snoopy balloon go by, but he's so defeated from just, you know, how messed up his life is. He misses the Snoopy balloon, <laughs> you know, but uh, I was like, that oh, is the know. best scene in the movie. And the Snoopy just comes in there. Yeah. And it's like, they're having sort of the fight that they've needed to have for years. It's very reminiscent of, uh, I mean, people remember there's the argument that uh, Tony and Carmela have in the Sopranos, which lead to them being divorced. And it's like, you don't quite see it coming in that show. You know, you're like, obviously there's been problems, but it's like, yeah, as with as with any good argument, Kaylee, it uh, starts when you pull on a little thread and like, oh, wow, yeah. the whole thing uh, gets unraveled. And I think that's a perfect example of like, there's a lot of good filmmaking in here, you know, there is. and, you know, getting, getting it so that the Snoopy balloon comes by then. And again, I know that it's just, you know, it's like a green screen or whatever. It still looks great. You know, it looks so great. It was such a good pop culture reference. It was so, it was such a voyeuristic argument for me to watch that scene. You feel like you're sitting in the room with them and then snooping Snoopy going by the window makes it feel even more like that. You don't know if you're watching TV, if you're watching them, if you're, yeah. I mean, it's just like this whole mess of emotions where I was so uncomfortable. I feel like I was like sweating when I watched that scene. It was so <laughs> tense and yeah. like, Ugh, it was great. It was beautiful. I loved that scene. That was my favorite scene. Yeah, there were definitely times where I felt as sweaty as uh, Bradley Cooper was uh, <laughs> conducting, you know, the uh, the actual <laughs> the actual scenes in there. Um, and uh, I just uh, wanted to. Yeah. OK, so interestingly, one of the so if there were to be an award that this would seem like it, it would have the real chance to win. It's uh, apparently it's best original screenplay, which when your film's a biopic, I guess if it's not related to a book, you know, if it's not based on a book, I guess that's all right. So that is uh, one of the the Oscars that I could see it win winning. Uh, but, uh, you know, is it also like, you know, because Oppenheimer is adapted from a book and uh, Anatomy of a Fall is one of those movies that uh, you hear about when it's like, and here's all these movies nominated. I'm like, I, I don't know what that movie is. I don't know who's in it. I don't know anybody who's seen it. Uh, May, December, I know, because it's also on Netflix. You know, uh, it's uh, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. But I, I, I feel like this could win, the, you know, there. I, I don't know. There could be some, it probably doesn't even have original musical score. So I don't even know if it could be nominated for that. I, I But I don't see him winning an, an actor, director, or certainly not a best picture for this, yeah. you know. I would agree with you. Yeah, uh, but it's also it's not going to run away with the Razzies either. You know, it's not yeah. that kind of <laughs> kind of a movie um, of the movies that are uh, that tend to be, you know, the favorites 
right now. Have you seen many of the uh, Oscar movies? I've got a few to catch up. It seems like you saw poor Almost things. nothing. Yeah, I've, yeah, I'm so behind in 2023. This was just a super, super challenging year for me to actually sit down and watch movies that I hadn't seen before. Right. I'm usually about two or three years behind on all movies. <laughs> That's right. just like my general norm. I got to get caught up one of these days. Um, so I've seen almost nothing. I, I've seen poor things. And I think that's the only other nominated thing that I've actually seen so far, which is crazy. Usually I do better yeah. than that. <laughs> well, we're at the point where stuff like uh, for for our audience as well. Uh, uh, the holdovers is on Peacock at this point, I'm told. And Kyle said it's Paul Giamatti's Oscar to lose this year. I mean, when he didn't win for playing uh, Pig Virus in the Howard Stern movie Private Parts, obviously I think he's won since then. But, you know, he still has to win that one back. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's there's a lot where you can see. And, and a lot of times with the award shows, you know, I will play that game when I'm watching it with my wife, when we're actually watching it live, you know, when I've yeah. had it all spoiled on Twitter, it's not as fun, but I'll, I'll just blurt out what I think is going to win. And sometimes I'm right. And sometimes my guess is very unpopular because I'm not going with the thing that everybody thinks should win. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it can be hard to keep up on movies, even when they bring them into our house, as, as we're talking about when you don't need to go to the theater and uh, see, you know, have Nicole Kidman welcome you there as as you take it all in. But uh, <laughs> the the example I always use is uh, my my son will be uh, my son will be nine this year, and just because of exactly when he was born in the summer, we spent years where my wife and I were an entire Mission Impossible movie behind. Because, you know, they come out like every like three or four years. And it was like the new one had was like coming out. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We never saw the last one because we were going to go see it. And then he came early. And it's like so I was determined last year. I'm like, we got to catch up with uh, Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> it's a lot harder to be motivated for where well, we have to get to all of yeah. the Oscar bait recommended critics darling movies. You know, yeah. uh, it has to be something that uh, that really jumps out, you know, at you. And uh, what was it that uh, intrigued you about Poor Things? Because it, it seems like a movie that still a lot of people haven't seen. Um, I'm a huge fan of, I can't pronounce his, his name, Yorgos Volatim. The director. I, yeah, I can't pronounce yeah. his name. Um, I think he's absolutely incredible. He's one of my favorite directors. I think he's going to do amazing stuff. So that was my number one. I also think that Emma Stone has been absolutely outstanding in everything that she's done recently. I mean, I, I, she is constantly astounding me. I, I keep wanting to not like her. And then I yeah. just love everything that she does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, uh, she's, she's so good. I almost finished La La Land. That's yeah. how good she is. I almost <laughs> got all the way to the end of it, but I, yes. I just couldn't bring myself. <laughs> no, but I mean, you go back and uh, I thought that, you know, she was playing a high schooler, but she did that movie easy a about that yeah. was a take. It's great. It's a fantastic movie. My, my, my wife and I were once, I don't know where we were on vacation, but it sort of came on TV and we were like going to go out and we were just mm -hmm. like, I kind of want to watch this through to the end, you know, because uh, that's good. Uh, obviously me being a huge nerd, I loved her as uh, Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Man movies with yeah. Andrew Garfield. Uh, yeah. You know, I, people can say what they want about those movies, but the two of them on screen together, I always thought were great. Yeah. She's, she's that very, it. She's great, and she seems to have a pretty good sense of humor about herself and everything. So, uh, yeah. yeah, she's somebody that I think people tend to pull for until she spends six years learning how to do something and she makes like an Oscar bait movie. <laughs> and then everybody's like, oh. I can't I wait until Emma Stone does Juno's. It's going to be great. <laughs>
I'm so excited <laughs> that, for that day that, in my life. That should be the uh, the the long title for this episode. I can't yeah. wait till Emma Stone does uh, <laughs> Junos. Well, uh, Kaylee, it has been delightful getting the chance to talk yes. to you and uh, and bring you to our Blackcast audience. Uh, and uh, as we mentioned, you're uh, part of the the midweek gang over at Who Are These Podcasts and. Uh, I, I've I've mentioned to Carl that I like the idea of mixing it up a little bit. You, Carl, and Trucker Andy, uh, who has been a guest on Who Are These Broadcasters, uh, and he, you know what? Let's plug his show, All Apologies Podcast, because yeah. I, I told him when he started doing it, I love the idea of every week you focus on a different apology. So uh, he's killing it right now too. Yeah. It's amazing. But I love the idea that you guys, you know, you pick a category and everybody's like, all right, I, I tried to find the worst one. And as the three of you go through, usually the first one, you're like, oh, well, this one's definitely going to win. And some some weeks it does, <laughs> but then you're like, no, this one's so much worse. And there's so many different levels of talking about bad podcasts and, you know, the show I do here, these broadcasters. It's it's like you kind of come around to like, oh, this person is not a bad broadcaster, but I kind of like whatever their energy is. You know, you try to figure it out. Um, a lot of the so time I, when I'm looking for the bad podcasts, I'm, I end up with, like not hate listening and I'm like, wait, no, I'm enjoying it. You, I can't you did, this one. did you bring the one with the really weird guy doing movie reviews like in his house and his co-host never wanted to be there? Or was that a, that might've been a Carl, a Carl show. That was Carl back in the day. That was Doug from yeah. Cinema Recall. And That's I'm it. actually doing a movie review with him. I think I'm going to be reviewing Doc. Tooth with him, oh um, which is another Yorgos Mutima. I again, I'm that not going to try. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, the poor things director. Oh, yeah, the poor great. things director. Um, um, and I'm really excited. <laughs> the uh, I think I messaged you when I was uh, trying to set this up with you. You recently, maybe it was last week, maybe it was the week before. You found a podcast with a, a woman who collects dolls that are realistic, and they poop and there's this expectation and you're like, Oh, it's kind of sad. This is probably people that can't have kids. And then there's a reveal of like, Nope, they have kids, but they ignore them to play with their dolls. And you're like, okay, that's sad in a different way entirely. So there's, there's it's so much you can community. learn about the human condition by tuning yes. in to yes. uh, who are these podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but, uh, and let's uh, tell people again where they can find once over with Kaylee for your movie reviews. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for who are these podcasts, you can listen on Wednesday nights. Uh, that's the midweek episode and it's great. So I'll be on there tomorrow. And then um, for once over with Kaylee, you can find me on YouTube at once over with Kaylee and Kaylee is spelled C A Y L E Y for lots of fun movie reviews um, and lots of stuff like this. So yeah. What are a couple of the movies that have uh, gone up over there recently? So I just recently released um, the hunt for the wilder people. I did the tingler. So some nice classic William castle horror from the 1950s. Um, I also recently did The Hills Have Eyes, the original. Um, lots of horror, lots of I basically just do whatever I'm in the mood for. Yeah, coming up soon is going to be the movie Hesher, which came out in 2010. Uh, that I think is very underrated and an excellent movie. So that one, well, I, don't, I don't even know what that movie is. So it's, it's uh, great, it's very underrated to me because I, I don't know it. And yeah, I think uh, a lot of time when you know you talk to people about doing a podcast, it should always be 
what are you interested in? What seems fun to you? And yeah, you know, that's why we're coming on uh, actually right now. I think today might even be the day now that I think about it. This is the 11 years we've been doing the black cast. And that's why we've built a very loyal audience, but it hasn't expanded that much because it's uh, it's not always the same thing, but it's always like whatever I feel like doing. And yeah. uh, our, our next episode, uh, I'm going to talk to Zach Schaefer from $2 Late Fee, which is a podcast that uh, really focuses on 80 mo 80s movies. But we're going to kind of go back. We, were, we talked about doing this for like the summer movie season, and then we thought about doing it at the end of the year. Well, it's still going to look at 2023. We're going to talk <laughs> about a lot of movies. And uh, so you can uh, find that in our next episode. That'll be Blackcast 581. And final comment in the chat from Kyle Bellardo. Usually, we're talking about the Who Are These Podcasts competition. Uh, usually, Lucy brings good podcasts, but Carl wins this week for Queer Kids Stuff. Woof. Uh, that's a show that they uh, highlighted on Who Are These Socials. And yeah. I had to write to him after. It's just... Uh, you know, you try to not be surprised sometimes, but then when you're like, wow, people really put crazy stuff on the internet, uh, don't they? And yeah, oh my I, gosh, Raging Rhino says, congrats on 11 years, Christian. And I'm sorry, uh, Kaylee, I spoke over. What were you going to say? Well, I'm going to steal Raging Rhino's comment first. Congratulations. Absolutely amazing. Um, you're doing so much amazing stuff. I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, for our 10th anniversary, I had uh, Carl pull clips from our first episode and uh, make fun of uh, me. And uh, he said, this is weird doing it to someone's face. I'm being a lot nicer. And I'm like, oh, this is you being nice. So I'm glad <laughs> you're doing it to my face. Uh, but like, I knew that my first episode wasn't great, you know, from, uh, 2013 in any case. Uh, so you can follow me on social media at Christian DMZ, subscribe to the black cast, YouTube, B L A D T C A S T. And, uh, as Kaylee was telling me beforehand, there's a lot of interviews on there. Musicians, comedians, you just scroll through. You'll probably find somebody that you're interested in and, uh, we'll have more of those coming up very soon. Uh, hopefully talking to Jack Blades in the near future. The problem with that is I always want to talk to these guys about damn Yankees. Like I wouldn't want to talk to Tommy <laughs> Shaw about sticks. I'd want to talk to him about damn Yankees. I once talked to Ted Nugent and I carved out a good 10 minutes to talk to him about damn Yankees. And uh, that's, you know, yeah, we all have our sweet spots, Kaylee. Uh, I get it. But, I get it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so please do that. Please subscribe uh, wherever. We will see you next time on the Blackcast. Thank you for listening to The Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on The Bladcast. Welcome to the party, pal! Naughty. I got to talk to my buddy Christian Blatt because he's got Jackie the Jokester coming on WATB next week. Very exciting. I know. That is cool. Maybe I should pop on for that episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, oh, now, now you want to come out, girl? Yeah. Don Jameson. That seems like the type of thing you would try to weasel your way man, into. Yeah. I was just listening to his uh, interview with George Lynch that he has up on YouTube. Who? Christian Blatt. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's great. Is it good? Yeah. Who's George Lynch? Highly recommend. Lynch Mob. Docking. Well, I'm glad that you're ready for some old man rock and roll talk. It's my favorite. None of these people are calling your mother. Christian Blatt, I suspect, 
might be calling your mother, but not 100% from who are these socials. I mean, he did tweet something on Mother's Day. He tweeted something about moms. So I'm assuming that's what he meant, you know, obviously. So, you know, I would start looking into Christian Blatt. Blatt it. I don't know. Nobody knows how to say it. Nobody knows. But anyway, the Blattcast and who are these socials? Sorry, the Blattcast. Who are these broadcasts? Who are these broadcasts? When Eric Zane and Christian Blatt are live on this same channel of who are these broadcasts? Broadcasts. Not who are these socials, as Cardiff said. Or broadcasts. No, I said broadcasts. Broadcast. Well, you also broadcasts. said socials. Yes. Who are these broadcasters? Is on this channel every broadcasts. Tuesday. New Kiss Era starts now. Oh, yeah. It's the... Eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the night, rising up to the challenge of arrival. The great Christian Blatt. Yes, go to the Blattcast and subscribe there, because I'm sure all of you are already subscribed to who are these podcasts. Mr. Blattcast is in the chat. Oh my God, it's Christian. Oh, Blattcast? Yeah. Uh, We got one gifted to Lesser Logic, one to the Blattcast. Can you please call Christian Blatt after this and explain to him (laughs) quality control? We're fighting for our right to live the way we need to to exist in a festive world <laughs> and the Bladcast showing up my buddy christian hello i'm conrad bain what's the matter senor luigi you look a little nervous i'm very nervous no invite <laughs> who are you christian bland we're christian, you are you're a talker no you're like the I worst broadcast ever. Ever. well this has been the Bladcast. you can find me at christian dmz <laughs> You haven't heard Christian Blatt do it. The Blattcast. Thank you, Christian. How is it that Wendy is so much better at this than Stud Joe, Chad, and Kevin Brennan? Whoa! Hacka hackas. As pissed off as Vinny is at you, you should be at Christian Blatt and Eric Zane. (laughs) Mousies? The Blattcast, 199. Thank you, Bladcast. Bladcast. The Bladcast is 100% right. Uh, the Bladcast. The Bladcast. The Bladcast. One of the best podcasts you can ever see, the Blackcast. Whoop-dee-doo, we're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Bladcast. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500 last time I checked. Totally forgot I am doing the Bladcast tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. <laughs> that was not my fault. Tuki loves you all more than a friend. I love Tuki. Yay! <laughs> hacka hacka! I'm so excited! Try anything you cancel, bro. Let's see! <laughs> what are bells? AMC Theatres. We make movies better.